Welcome to Medicana Talk with Dr. Joe Rosado. This program seeks to educate you on topics having to do with medical cannabis. You'll have a better understanding of the industry, insight, and guidance on how cannabis is a safe and important innovation in medicine today. Now, here is your host, Dr. Joe Rosado. Good afternoon from the East Coast of the United States of America and Canada, and good morning to those of you on the West, Midwest, and Central portion of the United States. This is Dr. Joseph Rosado, your co-host for Medicana Talk, accompanied today by Mr. Ed Pisani Jr. Good morning, everyone in the world. And we've got a very, very special guest this morning, Mr. Kevin Hall from Toronto, Canada. Kevin. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Ed. Good morning, uh, cannabis community. Thank you for uh, being on the show. I'm really excited to have a chance to talk to you. I know Dr. Rosado is as well because you bring a lot to the table about what's happening to our, our friendly neighbor to the north with cannabis. Yeah, lots of good things happening, lots of not-so-good things happening, uh, lots, of, lots of lessons to be learned, that's for sure. So, like, uh, I just have a curiosity. When you say lessons to be learned, is it, like, uh, 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 court decisions, or is it things that have transpired? Like, um, what type of lessons are you kind of alluding to? Well, um, we've been, believe it or not, medically legal for almost 20 years up here in Canada, and... Um, got, uh, basically the Supreme Courts have decided, um, based on the human rights um, of patients, have decided how the system is going to work, and it sounds like it's playing out the same down there, um, except um, there's lots of things that we've done right, and there's lots of things that we haven't done very well, and uh, that's when I say lessons learned, because there's good things, and there's, and there's not so good things, and obviously... Uh, when we consult uh, internationally, we we make sure that we bring up some of the pitfalls and, and, and that so, you know, you can streamline the medical process and get that patient the access um, to different kinds of treatment, including cannabis, much quicker than how we did it up here in Canada. Gotcha. Gotcha. I'm kind of a newbie in reference to the cannabis world. Um, uh, Dr. Rosado is like the true expert in in this as as you know he's uh he does a lot of speaking engagements around the world um and i think you have one coming up right now dr rosado is that true yes um in uh three weeks i will be in tokyo uh for the on august 12th and 13th i'll be speaking in tokyo at two different events uh on medical cannabis but I owe a lot of my international speaking engagements to Kevin because the really? first international yeah the first international speaking engagement I did was June of last year in Toronto and it was because Kevin, being the president, founder, CEO of International Cannabis Solutions, mm-hmm. um, he and I connected via the internet and established a, a friendship online before we even met face-to-face. And last June in uh, Toronto, we met for the first time, and he was instrumental in getting me to speak at the O Cannabis Conference in uh, again, last June. And from there, all of the doors worldwide opened up, so I owe my international speaking 
abilities and invitations to Kevin Hall. So thank you, Kevin. I don't know if I ever shared that with you. Oh, no, well, thanks, Joe. Uh, well, I have to say, you're, uh, you're quite an impressive speaker, very engaging, and, and um, so not only does he know what he's talking about, he's, uh, you know, um, like I said, very entertaining and very engaging, which goes a long way, you know, just having someone stand up there and regurgitating a bunch of uh, gobbledygook. So, um, so the feeling's mutual, Joe. Always glad to have you. Yeah, that's so cool. Like, I, every day I feel like I learn a little bit something new, about how our relationships are formed uh, and friendships are made. And it's great about the Internet these days, you being in Canada, we being in Florida, and we're just talking like we're all around the table. Like, it's no big deal. It's really cool. So, um, Now, Kevin has two flagship um, programs in International Cannabis Solutions. So uh, one is Cannabis in the Workplace, and the other is Cannabis Meets Healthcare, so, Kevin, tell us a little bit about each one of those programs and how you came about creating those programs. Well, I've always been, uh, you know, uh, very interested in the medical aspect and the science and the research of cannabis. Uh, I'm a medical patient myself. Um, and when we were assessing uh, kind of an international needs assessment on mitigation of risk and success coming out of the prohibition area, era, um, we did a we identified the two main areas of, um, you know, uh, safety in the workplace and, and uh, cannabis in the workplace. But, you know, who, who, some, who's going to pay for the, uh, the this education too, right? Because pharma wasn't writing any big checks anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, and then the other one was just cannabis means healthcare because everywhere we went, the consensus was the same that um, there's just such a need for more education on a on a high level that can stream down into a you know any stakeholder level. So even though our um, cannabis cannabis meets healthcare program uh, has probably about over thirty accredited uh, lecture hours, we can tame that that content down to pretty much any stakeholder by just streaming the vocabulary down and and making it simplified. So so I have uh, a question a, for you because this morning yeah. I was watching TV in beautiful Orlando, Florida. And there was a bartender from Walt Disney World that had CBD oil on her person, and uh, she was suspended and, and just fired by Walt Disney World uh, for having that on their property. Um, do you consult large businesses like that, or do you work more with the uh, the physicians? No, that would actually be a perfect case for us to consult with. Uh, we have a... Um, a- top-tier legal team here in Canada that has international ties. Um, so if that was a patient and they had no human rights, uh, or sorry, they had no uh, policy procedure on how to accommodate for the patient and they fired that person, that person could, depending on the, you know, I don't know the circumstances of the case, but she could have a, a, a sincere human rights case on her and maybe a civil case um, for un, uh, unduly getting fired. Because she's a yeah, it sounds like she wants to sue Disney and also the sheriff's office as well, which I, I found to be surprising because I just didn't um, know that was going to be the case. She, I guess she bought the uh, uh, CBD oil at a local supermarket. Um, right, it, it so that's the case. That, then. That Disney World <laughs> I, I'd like has to see a the human rights policy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's a really yeah. sad, sad thing, and unfortunately, that happens all too often. And that's one of the main reasons why we we see this such a such a, a, um, a robust need for that kind of 
service. Okay. That, that's cool. I, I know Walt Disney World is a very large company, so it might be prudent to maybe give them a phone call. Um, yeah, well, you know, part of that is, um, you know, just bad public relations too, right? <laughs> so, you know, we like to get to companies <laughs> before that happens rather than uh, play damage control, but we can do both. <laughs> Everything in, in Walt Disney is magical. There, there's no bad public relations. <laughs> oh, right, of course. <laughs> and, and, and again, the cannabis meets healthcare portion is, is really for any kind of healthcare professional. So you could be a massage therapist, you could be a personal trainer, you can be anyone in health and healthcare um, and learn um, everything from the endocannabinoid system, like in, uh, Cannabis 101, all the way up to, you know, current research and. And, um, you know, Dr. Rasal has got a great one, Top Ten Reasons Why Cannabis is Recommended in, the, in, in His Clinic and Why. And um, so what it does is it gives pretty, people a pretty good understanding of, you know, the risk, the, the potential risks, which, by the way, there's not as, as much as people think. I mean, I looked at something the other day where cannabis was less addictive um, or risky than caffeine. So to put that in perspective, not a lot of people know that, um, and, um, and it allows them to do their job better to think outside the box to, and add another tool to the toolkit to uh, to help their um, their job and to help their clients, to help their patients. So we're pretty proud of what we're doing in that arena. That's Kevin, cool. share share with everyone um, who makes up your team because you've got you know you've got a, a labor attorney, you've got some HR professionals. You know, tell them, like, the 150 years of experience you've got working and supporting you. Well, uh, I'll start with you, Joe. Um, we we, uh, <laughs> we have a great reciprocal relationship with Dr. Rosado, uh, being a pioneer down there in Florida. We, um, and our team is international, truly. Uh, and one of the reasons why we partnered up with Joe is, A, uh, we don't work with anyone that's not patient-focused or patient-friendly. Um, so if you're looking after your shareholders versus your patients, we, we won't work with you. So, you know, when Joe and I first started talking, it was quite clear that we're on the same page in terms of passion and care. Um, mm-hmm. And also he, uh, being from the States, he makes us what's called HIPAA compliant. So if we have a client down there in the States, we want to make sure that we're compliant with all the U.S. medical uh, regulatory bodies. So we would ask cool. Joe for that. really important. Extremely important. Well, you know, up here in Canada, one privacy violation is a half a million dollar fine. So um, just to give you, I'm not sure what the fine is down there, Joe, but I'm pretty sure it's quite similar. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's very strict, and we want to play by the rules and do it properly. And up here in Canada, we've got a doctor named Dr. Ira Price. Um, in fact, we've got a few physicians up here, Dr. Uh, David Hepburn out of Victoria. Uh, and they're all... Um, they all have probably over a decade experience. I think Ira's got over 80,000 recommendations of, of cannabis, and he's doing a lot of great research on opioid addiction and other kinds of addiction using cannabis. We've got HR professionals both in the States and in Canada. We partner with the top legal firm in Canada called Brister Seller, uh, mostly for labor law, but they have a six-person cannabis team that can handle anything cannabis. So if anyone out there needs anything done, uh, in Canada regarding cannabis, even going to the exchange, securities, 
you name it. Um, we, we work with this group exclusively, exclusivity, um, because uh, A, they're not the Toronto, they're out of actually uh, Ottawa, Canada, the capital of Canada. Um, they're, they're half the price of what the, the top, the other top firm is here in, in Toronto. Um, so instead of spending $800 an hour, you're only at four or $500 an hour versus the Ottawa team. So, and, I have a quick uh, question really just for people. the newbies out there because I kind of like not the new uh, experienced uh, experts like you are, but you use the word recommendation. Why do you use that word like for cannabis and not like something else, well, some other medical there's something drug? Called a, there's something called a DIN number on, on all your prescription medication, and that means it's gone, gone through all the FDA, all the FDA testing, uh, double-blind placebo, the three levels of FDA testing, and, and then you get a DIN number at the end of, end of it. Well, there's no DIN number for cannabis yet. Uh, they're talking about putting a, a PIN number or some sort of number behind that, but until you have a DIN number, that, that's technically not a prescription. So that's why we call recommending cannabis. That's interesting. I never knew that, and like I, I'm learning stuff every day. This great part about uh, having friends like Dr. Rosado, and uh, having these interesting conversations. And in the U.S., because it's federally illegal as a physician, if we quote unquote prescribe cannabis, which is a Schedule One drug, we would lose our DEA license to prescribe Schedule Two through Schedule Five medications. So for that reason, in the U.S., we say recommend rather than prescribe. Interesting. Yeah, quite quite well, similar. Yeah, go on. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, not at all. Uh, no, that was just that. That's my answer to your question. Why uh, we would recommend versus prescribe? Because there's just all those quacky rules and regulations that you, you know, you want to play straight. Uh, like for example, we didn't go out and get ten million dollars and cultivate because I didn't believe that the money was there, especially in Canada, to cultivate uh, because of all the energy costs and overhead. So I decided to develop this top tier elite team and go after science and education, develop our international credibility that way. So that's that's. Um, so, or just and, a simple question, when you say we, cultivate, you mean like growing the actual plant itself? That's correct. So that's, okay. so there's the, the cultivation and the ancillary market. We would consider ourselves in the uh, ancillary market because um, we're focused on research and education. So it, I would almost say medical ancillary market, but because we do the cannabis in the workplace, um, there's a little bit more complexities to it. It's kind of interesting you bring that up. Dr. Rosado, I had this great idea earlier this morning when I was driving into my office, like um, to help uh, global warming, we should have cannabis plants growing from one side of our nation to the other side of a nation because we can get that 0.01% climate change squared away because all those cannabis leaves uh, will take in the carbon dioxide and, and it's also helping people's lives and making them pain free. I, I just uh, wanted to toss it out there because, you know, just crazy little idea I had. What are your thoughts on that? So you want to take us back to 1765 uh, North America? <laughs> you know, where, where, I, I, where there was a big hemp boom? Is that what you want to do? <laughs> uh, you know, George Washington grew and in, ingested uh, met, uh, cannabis back in the day. And, you know, with him and all the founding fathers, they came up with the best breakup letter ever. The Declaration of Independence. So I, I don't doubt there was probably a little bit of alcohol, tobacco, 
mar- uh, marijuana cannabis that helped make that happen. I'm just saying, like, we can end global warming right now. Just well, did you know that the Declaration idea. of Independence was actually wrote on hemp paper? Boom. You're, you're making my point even more. Like, what go. are our career politicians doing? I don't know. Well, not only that, it was it, hemp was used in to pay uh, people were able to pay their taxes using hemp. I mean, it was almost yeah, it was, like the gold standard. It was a commodity. Yeah. It, Even though really, you know, rec- records show that Washington and Jefferson weren't the greatest hemp farmers. Um, overall, they did utilize you know that for the people that were able to grow it to be able to pay their taxes uh, and or share and trade with uh, with the seeds. So, yeah. Well, they they have a really good uh, thing out on Broadway about Hamilton and like all the brilliant mind he has uh, for helping the country get founded, and and maybe he also helped uh, uh, push things along because I know George Washington was definitely a a great war leader. Um, So, but anyway, I digress. Anyway, Kevin, how does um, the International Cannabis Solutions compare to? the university, like North American College of Pharmaceutical Technology in Toronto, that certifies people and gives, uh, you know, diplomas to providers and or individuals that want to grow or work in the cannabis industry. Hmm. Uh, so you're talking about AAPS and, and our, our partners there? Yeah, or NACPT in Toronto. Right. So so what, what they're focused on is... is the education of, um, you know, how to work a lab, how to work an HPLC machine, uh, be a QA, um, and that and that basically their their um, job specific requirements that the government requires you to have that they offer those courses, and we're about to offer we're about to um, work out an agreement with them where we bring our um, accredited stuff into uh, for pharmacists and medical professionals as well as the cannabis in the workplace to complement all their other um, educational factors. And they have two campuses, and so we'll be able to um, both do live in-campus, but we're also going to be using some technology to um, offer it um, online as well. And to get full accreditation, you need 45 minutes of of uh, learning and 15 minutes of interaction. So being uh, doing it online... Uh, you and live, you'll be able to interact with the instructor and ask those questions and get it accredited certification programs both both live on campus and online, which is fantastic with technology because we can reach more people that way. So, is this being targeted for undergraduates or for like uh, someone that's more advanced in their education at college? I think that our program would be more continuing education credits for professionals designations and certificate programming. So if you're a pharmacist and you don't know anything about cannabis, then in fact some of the, even the, the uh, medical universities were approaching to um, assess their current curricula and um, at least add some sort of complementary um, cannabis slash pain curricula to go in with their current uh, medical degree. Because right now there's about 15, or sorry, 16 clinical hours of of um, medical education and, and, and pre-med, and 77 for your vet. So, and meanwhile, we've got a um, a pain epidemic of one in four people, one 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 in four to one in five um, 
people suffering from chronic pain. So there's a big disconnect on on you know how much doctors know, how many tools they have, and the and the thing to treat. And to be honest, uh, I don't know if Dr. Rosado would agree with me, but I think that the lack of education really is the main reason why we have this opioid epidemic. Is because you know no one wants to quarterback that complex patient who you know is is suffering from acute pain and get them out of it before they get their chronic pain after 90 days. So. Everything, a lot of what we do is based on the operated epidemic and the pain epidemic and where cannabis fits into that treatment program. That's interesting. That's it's really very interesting. Inter- it's very interesting that it's been medically legal in Canada for 20 years, but yet there's still physicians that are untrained in how to recommend cannabis to their patients and that the medical schools aren't implementing this in their education. I, I re- uh, an article a few days ago that in the U.S. less than 10% of medical schools are actually teaching physi- you know, physicians and training on the endocannabinoid system or cannabis proper and one out of nine, uh, one out of 10 physicians that are getting ready to complete their residency or their fellowship are even feeling comfortable enough to answer questions on the use of cannabis with their patients. So it's, it's really interesting that, you know, in the U.S., the first state to become legal was California in 1996, and you guys have been legal in Canada, medically, the whole country for 20 years, and yet it's not made its way into the medical schools. Uh, any ideas why that's, that's an issue or a challenge? I'm going to say I have no idea. Like, uh, Kevin, what's your thoughts? Pharmacology has been paying or supplementing education for some time. And about 10 years ago, there was a big controversy up here with one of the medical universities and, and uh, you know, why Purdue was on the bottom of every page of these textbooks, right? And um, in terms of efficacy, uh, it was found non-ethical. And also they were trained on... Um, they were basically trained on pulling out your prescription pads before you would actually listen to the person. Like up here in Canada, you're only allowed to talk about one or two things every time you go into the, the, um, the doctor's office. So if you've got complex regional pain syndrome and a lot going on with a complex disorder, um, you know, that's pretty hard to, to uh, have your physician understand. So I'm not sure if that quite answers your question, but it's basically, you know, pharma's been been pushing the way on, on how to train. So people have been trained on pharmacology, but not alternative treatments because it's Western medicine. But I believe that the sweet spot is a combination of both Western and Eastern medicine. But that's just my own professional opinion. Okay, I just got a dumb question because I'm not too familiar with all the different pharma companies out there. Is Purdue like, uh, what, what is Purdue? Purdue is the maker of OxyContin. Oxycontin is, is, a, is a very powerful, powerful naset or opioid um, that is highly, highly addictive. So um, without a doctor that, that understands the risks and uh, is just prescribing uh, without proper oversight, your risks of addiction are far more significant. Um, and um, there's also more, 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 more to it, but I think that, that's the basics. What do you think, Dr. Rosado? Yeah, exactly. That's the challenge. Um, you know, most textbooks, most uh, courses are, you know, 
sponsored or paid for by you know large pharmaceutical companies and when you have physicians like Ira Price in Canada or myself here in Florida weaning patients off of opiates you know it's it's not cost effective for the large pharmaceutical companies to deal with and understand what's going on in the cannabis world. Interesting. There is one out there, GW Pharmaceuticals, which is uh, probably the industry leader in the, in the pharmacology space with cannabis, but um, they haven't had much success with their, with their cannabis line. Right. Um, well, here in the U.S., they just approved last June uh, Epidiolex, which is a CBD formulation for two conditions, Dravet's and Lennox-Gastaut, um, which are you know intractable seizures, primarily in the pediatric world, children that have between two and three hundred seizures a day. Uh, and then outside of the U.S., they have a product called Sativex, which is a one-to-one CBD to THC formulation uh, that's you know, an oral mucosal spray as well as in a nasal spray. Yeah, that Sativex hasn't proven to be quite, uh, it's very expensive, it's not covered by OHIP, and um, it's, 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 uh, success isn't even near as close as what we call whole plant therapy. Quick question, what's o- OPEC mean? Whole, whole plant? Whole plant therapy? No, no, OPEC. 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 George, did I misunderstand what you said? You no, I was, I was speaking about the difference between Sativex and whole plant therapy. So, yes, they have Sativex outside the U.S., but it, its success hasn't been near as what they hope to be. Their sales are way down. It's considered almost a bust when it comes down to, like, what they look at it from a corporate point of view. Gotcha. Okay, my apologies. I thought, I thought you gave me some sort of medical jargon. I didn't um, hear that correctly. Well, he was referring to the uh, insurance company, the, the national insurance company in Canada, that they don't cover Sativex. Did I hear that correctly, Kevin? Yeah, like no insurance company up here will cover that. Hmm. And it's extremely expensive. And, and, and for the success it gets people, like the, if you go on blogs and research it, you'll see that it just didn't, it didn't go over very well. He, the whole international launch just didn't go very well. Well, we're but hopefully they're learning. And, 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 and Dr. Rosado, how are these new products they're putting out? Are they? Do you find them? Uh, what's the word on the street? Do you find them effective? Or well, we're getting ready to talk about that in the next thirty minutes. Right now, we're going to take a break. You're listening to Dr. Joseph Rosado, Medicana Talk, uh, Ed Pisani, and our special guest, Mr. Kevin Hall. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Dr. Joseph Rosado was the first medical professional to recommend medical cannabis treatment in the greater central Florida region. He has since become a sought-after medical cannabis expert in Florida and abroad. Learn his story and find out more about Dr. Rosado's book, Hope and Healing, The Case for Cannabis. Available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Kobo, as well as through the website josephrosadomd.com. You can also schedule an individual or group consulting session with Dr. Rosado. That's josephrosadomd.com. 
Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. There are many innocent people who are found guilty of crimes that they did not commit. Join criminal defense investigator Jeff Stein for Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? Each show, we'll discuss the problem, and it is a problem. The fact that because of incompetent investigations and a poor judicial system, anybody can become a victim. Can we fix this? Tune in to find out. You can listen Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Medicana Talk. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or you can send an email to info at josephrosadomd.com. Now, back to Medicana Talk. Welcome back, everyone. You are listening to Dr. Joseph Rosado here in sunny Florida, extremely sunny Florida, uh, with Ed Pisani and our special guest, Mr. Kevin Hall, President, Founder, CEO of... International Cannabis Solutions, based out of Toronto, Canada. Uh, Kevin, go ahead and give your contact information for anyone that may be interested in contracting your services to provide either cannabis in the workplace or cannabis meets healthcare. Sure, it's uh, you can reach me at Kevin at internationalcannabissolutions.net. Again, that's .net or four one six four eight Canna. Do they have to put any numbers in front of it if they're calling from America? Uh, just Canada, Canada is America. Ah, now you're oh, right. Come on now, Joe. Be careful there. Be careful. <laughs> Canada is My America. My apologies. <laughs> not the United States of America, but they are America. <laughs> well, part of North America, yeah, okay. <laughs> just in light of what's been going on down there i'm not going to comment any further but we we're proud to be canadian and up here i'll tell you that <laughs> well I, there was a rumor that many U, uh, um, u.s american citizens uh, were wanting to transfer to canada so we'll see what happens in the next few weeks or months anyway yeah prior to the break <laughs> you had asked about the opiate crisis and opioid epidemics and the um, medications that are being created by pharmaceutical companies regarding um, cannabis. So we talked about GW Pharmaceuticals and a product that's sold. Yeah, that's sold outside of the U.S., which is Sativex, and a product that's sold in the U.S., which is Epidiolex. Um, and regarding cost. A year supply of Epidiolex is thirty-two thousand dollars. That's more than the, 
that's more than the typical salary in the U.S. Yeah, now, if you have a, a, a parent or a single parent for that case and they're, they have a child or in one of my um, experiences, I have uh, a mom that has three children that all three of them have the same condition. They all have the gene for the Dravet syndrome and one of the children, uh, as early as three weeks after being born, he was having you know an immense number of, of seizures. Now, this is a single mom dealing with th- three kids with the same condition at $32,000 a pop per child. You know, multiply that by three, you're looking at $100,000 just to medicate these children with this medication. It's terrible. Terrible. You know, Kevin, you're a dad. You know, uh, you know I, I'm a father and a grandfather. Ed, you're a dad. You know, yep. how, does, how would this affect our, you know, livelihood and our ability to survive with that type of, a, of, of an expense? You'd be going bankrupt pretty quick. I mean, it, you know, and so even though they, they claim that, oh, most insurance companies cover it in the U.S., the amount of red tape that we've had to go through when we've prescribed that medication, and that one we can say we prescribe because it's been approved by the FDA, it's a Schedule Five, and so we can actually prescribe that medication, which you see the hypocrisy, you know, the natural cannabis plant is a Schedule One. But a medication created in it by a pharmaceutical company is a Schedule 5, and we can prescribe that, and insurance companies allegedly cover it, but the amount of red tape and prior authorization and documentation that we have to provide the, pharma- the pharmacy for them to dispense the medication, you know, these children have been waiting four months to get their medication just because of all the red tape that we've had to run through. Yeah, there's nothing like bureaucracy. Is it any better in Canada? Because, you know, we always hear about how the Canadian system is superior to the U.S. system. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I think that there are two different kinds of systems. We have a more socialist system up here. It is true what your Bernie Sanders is saying down there about how you're the only modern country out of the G7 countries that don't have a, uh, you know, complex um social network for healthcare. Um, however, you know, in Canada, because it's, um, it's so socialist, we'll have MRI machines that we won't even budget people to run 24 hours a day. So it could take you up to four to six months just to get an MRI, to give you an example. So we have our own challenges up here, like you do there. Uh, drug costs are extremely expensive. Insurance companies uh, are very quick to, to decline or send more paperwork, or, uh, in fact, I recently had something I sent away um, for um, a prescription, and even though the physician, they wanted me to try eight other prescriptions before they would cover this one, because this one apparently was the most expensive, but it was the most effective. And my physician basically said, listen, my psychiatrist said, if we've got someone stable on a medication, we're not going to force them to try eight other medications before you'll cover this one. That is just against our Hippocratic Oath. So we, you know, just a few examples there. We have the same problems. In fact, if you try to get 
Blue Cross insurance or any kind of extended insurance, the first thing they ask you is what drugs that you're on and what conditions, what the history you have. And they'll come back and say, yeah, we'll cover you, but not under anything that you currently have. So we have that pre-condition uh, problem up here as well, uh, which is rather unfortunate and um, and it's the same as they seem to be looking after shareholder value versus um, versus patients, which is uh, nothing new. But unfortunately, I think the government really should be taking them more to task. It, which how is, is why I've growth? always oh, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry, hang on that. Uh, which is why I've always promoted and and told patients and on many interviews, you know, I'd rather treat you know ten conditions with one medication rather than you know ten medications for you know, one condition, because in the U.S., you know, a patient comes in on pain, you have, you give them an opiate to, to manage their pain, but then you have to give them something to address their constipation, because now they have opiate-induced constipation. Then on top of that, you know, the opiates tend to cause people to be a little apathetic, so that feeds or affects their depression. They also have insomnia, they're now dealing with anxiety, so now they have insomnia, anxiety, depression, chronic Don't forget pain. about IBS, the head gut. Yeah, you know, a, a sick gut and constipated, and so we're giving them, you know, 10 medications to offset the side effects of all the others, whereas if we give patients one, cannabis, you're addressing every one of those conditions, which, you know, as I spoke last week, the first paper I published this year was on how I weaned a patient off of Medicaid, you know, 42 to 58 pills per day, which was the first lecture I gave in Canada. Uh, That's right. On how, you know, a case, an actual case study of a patient that we took off of all these medications just using cannabis. So the cannabis works on so many different receptors in the body that you're better off just using the cannabis to address all of these other conditions. Ed, didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. No, you're good. I guess my question was more in the line of I'm a business owner, and uh, what's the ability for an entrepreneur to get into this market to bring down the cost of these medications? I, I've become a good lobbyist. <laughs> so more or less what I'm hearing is we need to have like the NRA for cannabis, like the National Cannabis Association. And start like a, a lobby to uh, to get more um, open market and uh, decrease the cost, so it's not a monopoly in essence. Well, speaking of monopolies, um, based on your experience over the past twenty years in Canada, for a country like the United States of America or any country around the world, because last week uh, we our show was heard in three separate countries. Uh, for a country that's wanting to get into the the medical cannabis space, you know, what have you seen work in Canada? What have you seen not work? And let's do like a SWOT analysis of the process. That's a good idea. That's a really good idea. You know, what what happened in Canada and what other countries can learn from their successes and their, their, you know, weaknesses, for lack of a better term. Okay, well, I just so happened to... uh do a quick swap the other day when you uh, rang me up, Joe. So I'm going to kind of go through these one by one slowly. So if you have any questions as I as I speak to them, let me know. Um, this is not inclusive, mind you. I'm just keeping it in mind that we've got less than 15 minutes. So if we want to talk about strengths, um, you know, after 20 years and trial and error, eventually you start doing something some things right. 
Um, and we're quite, quite excited. We'll have extracts be um, legal to purchase as of December 17th. Now, a lot of people might think, oh, no, that's October 17th. Well, that's when the law changes, and that's when you can amend your sales license to include extracts, which is the 60-day process, which leads you to December 17th. So before the end of the year, we'll have extracts, edibles, and as we know, um, more and more people are getting away from flour and on to different extracts and to different delivery methods. So we're quite happy to see that happening. Um, we're also very happy to see more delivery methods. So, for example, Health Canada was only allowing flour. And uh, to this day, they still suggest, Health Canada does, that their inventory levels are fine, but the quality of their flour is horrible. The amount of, you know, they just start allowing gel caps, CBD gel caps, and, and just uh, the oils are new uh, probably about two years ago. Um, so we're going to start seeing those different delivery methods um, on a more ongoing basis and more readily available to patients, which is really nice to see, uh, and very good quality quality products, too. Uh, more and more LPs are getting, uh, LPs is short for licensed producers. They're getting mm-hmm. approved much quickly, uh, quicklier up here because they realize that there is a huge shortage, uh, supply and demand problem. And um, we're quickly catching up with Israel on the medical research aspect. Uh, there's a multi-million dollar ongoing call for proposals for research, uh, which is filled up every year. It's about, I think, $53 million. So there's, there is money to be had uh, for research, which is great. Um, but as you know, down in the States, if you're using that Mississippi bud for research, then, uh, then uh, or that Mississippi <laughs> cannabis, you know, there's always so much quality research that can come out of that. Um, so this is quite fortunate for us. Uh, and more and more doctors are recommending. And in some provinces, we've now allowed nurse practitioners to, to, to recommend. So that gives more access, less accountability for the physicians. They can stick to what they're doing, uh, you know, the specialty, and they can work with nurse practitioners to help um, see more patients and educate more patients. Um, they're also opening up licenses for, like, micro-grows to allow smaller players to get in, which is really good. And I think that's up to, I could be wrong, I think that's up to 10,000 square feet versus these million square feet facilities that people are, are, are building at, like, Aurora up in Edmonton. Um, job creation, a massive boost to the economy, um, more and more medical benefits. And uh, in Toronto, uh, we're quite lucky. I'm quite lucky. It is the mecca of cannabis internationally. And when I say that, I'm not trying to say it because, you know, I live here, but we have uh, the Toronto Stock Exchange here, and by far the most um, publicly traded companies that are available out there are done on the Toronto Stock Exchange. So uh, there's a lot of head offices here in Toronto. Uh, it's, uh, it's becoming the... Like I said, the Mecca, there's more conferences in Toronto, uh, you know, as many or more than BC these days, and a lot of financial conferences and whatnot, too. Um, I think some of the, the threats is that, that we have a massive supply shortage. And I did a, uh, I moderated a panel at a, at a conference about a month and a half ago, and, and we had a physician, a licensed producer, and a, and a processing uh, group up there representatives, and I asked the question, you know, what do you think the biggest threat is to the, to the industry? And, 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 I, and I started off by saying, you know, safety in the workplace, driving, and, and all, three, all three of the other people on the panel disagreed and said over-regulation, almost unanimously and as passionately and with in a great detail on why. 
So we still hmm. have an overregulation problem up here in Canada, which you're experiencing down there. So if you think after 20 years, you know, you, we would probably loosen up a little bit. But um, it is Canada, and for some reason, we're, we're seem to be a lot more strict than the, than the states uh, when it comes to new drugs coming to market and whatnot. But, uh, and what else do we have here? Um, we have non-evidence-based regulations, too, so fear-mongering. So, for example, uh, cannabis in the workplace policy might be uh, Toronto Police Services. Uh, if you work for the, the police department in Toronto, you need to be absent from cannabis for 30 days. Now, if you work in Montreal as a police officer, it's what you call show-up fit for duty, which means don't consume within four to six hours. And uh, so there's a lot of hodgepodge uh, stuff still going on. And the biggest one that is coming up is that we have an election coming up in Canada. And the Trudeau government and the, uh, who, they're a liberal government, and the conservative government, Andrew Shea, they're neck and neck. And Andrew Shea has basically said that, uh, you know, we have no comment on what we're going to do with cannabis, uh, although they're, they're traditionally anti-cannabis in that party. So uh, that um, political risk is quite significant. Um, so, so do oh, you also, think that the, assuming that the conservatives get into power, do you suspect that they would revoke the um, recreational use of cannabis in Canada? Um, you know what, I don't think so. I think you can't put that, that much toothpaste back in the tube, but they still can make it more difficult. Uh, in other words, design a, mess up the system enough to screw it up some more. You know what I mean? Uh, yes. For, the, for those of you that are listening uh, and are unaware, um, Canada is recreational, the whole country. And there's, what, 35, 36 million people in Canada? Yep. And, I, I just have um, a question. Um, as, a, as a newbie that's not in the uh, expert uh, field as you, um, since you have recreational uh, cannabis up there, why can't someone just grow? Like, hey, you have like a strawberry garden, you just have a cannabis garden in your backyard. You can grow up to four plants in your backyard if your province allows it. Four plants per household. So even though you have four people in the household, you can still only grow four plants. That's recreationally. Now, for a long time, they were putting height restrictions on these things, on this other stuff, which you can see how absurd that is. It's a plant. It grows. You know? um, <laughs> they've backed down on some of that stuff. Um, again, it's not, they, they try to propose a lot of non-evidence-based regulations until we prove them wrong. But uh, that happens quite quickly. <clears throat> uh, what else? Do you have a lot here? of people oh. moving from one province to another so they could actually grow their own cannabis versus having to spend like thirty thousand dollars a year on a a, a a prescription or I guess recommendation because it's not a prescription. We we actually have a program where you can have what's called a designated grower or a DG for short, okay. where um, let's say you had a prescription uh, recommendation for five grams a day. Um, and there was someone that had a co-op or, uh, you know, they didn't have to have no criminal record for 10 years, uh, certainly nothing about trafficking in a lifetime, uh, no fraud in a lifetime, and, um, and then you could grow for somebody. For example, I have a grower that grows for me because I have a, a chronic back problem and sciatica problem, mm -hmm. and uh, I just get a, my script in the mail. Uh, but I, I get to pick my seeds, uh, now, actually, now you're not. Allowed, now you're supposed to get all your seeds and your clones from the licensed producers. But 
you know, many, many, many are still grow, are ordering from Sensi Seeds because the quality, uh, long-term quality of those seeds and reliability are far superior than what, what you're getting from a lot of licensed producers. Uh, technically, that's illegal, though. Technically, now it's illegal. See, and in the U.S., patients um, cannot get their medical cannabis mailed to them because the United States Postal Service system is a federal entity. And so putting it in the mail, you're breaking federal law. And so that's not allowed here. So these are... Well, I got to say, the, the post office in America is fundamentally broken. When we have FedEx <laughs> and we have UPS and all these other, uh, whatever their numbers and letters are, are doing it better. I mean, even Amazon now is getting into the game and they're doing a better job. Um, I would think the uh, post office would want to embrace anything they could do to uh, help get more, get more stamps sold. <laughs> yeah, you would think so. But unfortunately, it's, it's a much bigger... Uh, pond than just uh, about delivery, that's for sure. Uh, I'm just reviewing my notes here really quickly to make sure I haven't forgotten anything. Uh, oh, the big question is, is where can you consume cannabis? Now, the biggest, uh, I think the most proactive, progressive uh, province in the country is Alberta. Uh, they're way ahead of the game. They're looking at travel and tourism. They're looking at, like, cannabis hotels, uh, cannabis uh, coffee shops, things like that. And uh, and provinces like Ontario, where I live, very very much more conservative, and um, you know that's not even in their landscape right now. They're they're just trying to get their retail stores up, and and um, yeah, some are some are a lot more uh, progressive than others. So that's that's about all I have in terms of strength and weakness. Oh, so banks are being difficult. Um, still, to open up account, a lot of people are using credit unions and Indian Reserve banks instead of the main banks. And um, oh, the other big one is um, there. This would coincide with the states too. Is there? Uh, they have these roadside testing kits, saliva tests. Now they're good at telling you how many nanograms of cannabis are in your system, but they're not good at proving you're impaired. Uh, and they're the same kits that are being used in the states. And from what I read in the states, that the, the district attorneys are having a, have a, lot, a lot hard time um, convicting um, people if there's a jury, because the ju jury of your peers will know that that thing doesn't prove you're impaired. So they're having a really difficult time. In fact, some police departments aren't even using them; they're just sticking to the roadside uh, roadside testing. So Ooh. that's kind of my wrap for the SWOT analysis. Thank you. So I was earlier this year, I was in Costa Rica, which as of right now, it is illegal to have any cannabis, whether it's CBD or THC or anything in between. And um, I went there to speak at three different events. I spoke to uh, Congress, I spoke to some uh, advocates, and I spoke to a group of physicians. And, you know, I... The message was education, educating the people, understanding you know the benefits of cannabis as a physician. You, not being a physician, Kevin, what would be your recommendation to a state or a country that doesn't have cannabis laws? What would you recommend in the next 30 seconds? To go over and consult with our team of professionals uh, and to review the latest research so that we can help them provide an evidence-based policy that will make them look good and satisfy their constituents and, and obviously help their overall health and well-being. 
I have Again. a dumb question for you guys um, because I know like everyone's living on social media. Do do you guys have like social media accounts that you could share with people so they can like find you online that way? Yeah, there's uh, we have. I, I generally use my own LinkedIn. Uh, you can find Kevin Hall at LinkedIn in Toronto International Cannabis Solutions. I also do uh, something called um, we invite people to participate in our uh, uh, education and research LinkedIn group, and I'm mm-hmm. on we're on Facebook. Don't really use Twitter too much, but yeah, you you can f- definitely find us out there. Uh, regularly posting um, crucial things that people need to know. Um, what's your telephone numbers again? If uh, both you and Dr. Rosado could just spit those out for everyone so they can call you and check out your website and stuff. 416-48-CANA, Kevin at internationalcannabissolutions.net. Go ahead, Joe. And I am found at info at josephrosadomd.com. That's info at josephrosado, R-O-S-A, D as in David O, md.com and looking forward to speaking with you guys next week for another amazing hour of medicana talk thank you very much thanks for having me on guys thank you for listening to this episode of medicana talk please join dr joe rosado for another edition of our program next wednesday at 9 a.m pacific time and 12 noon eastern time on the voice america variety channel If you'd like to learn more about medical cannabis, we invite you to go to Amazon.com to purchase Dr. Rosado's book, Hope and Healing, The Case for Cannabis. Have a great week. 